Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we have producer, engineer, mixer, extraordinaire, Gary Langan. Anyone who knows me, knows my musical preferences, knows the people we've had on this show before, it should come as no surprise that Gary is gonna be a guest on here. Gary, as most of you probably know, I guess, in the early 80s, well, he had had a career before this, but in the early 80s, he joined joins forces with Trevor Horn and becomes a part of that stable of people like Steve Lipson. And of course, so he's working on the things that Trevor's working on in the early 80s, like, yes, 90125 and ABC, Lexicon of Love, Malcolm McLaren's Duck Rock. That is a fascinating story in here. Wait to hear about it. Eventually, he kind of decides that his and Trevor's working styles are very different. And so he kind of goes out on his own. And when he does that, he works with people like Spandau Ballet, uh, um, Billy Idol, uh, then Jericho, Dream Academy, Public Image Limited. In fact, he produced their album Happy, which came out, I just found out today, 34 years ago today. Total coincidence, but how about that? So anyway, we get into the stories behind a lot of this stuff, obviously. Now, what's really cool is that Gary worked on uh, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. And that story comes at the very end. I purposely put it at the end because I wanted you to hear everything else. Uh, he also, these days, he makes a living still as, you know, points on some of these things. But in addition, he makes a living as a member of the touring act, Art of Noise, which you probably know that stable and Dudley, Trevor Horn, so on and so on, those producers, made their own music. That's why you're listening to Close to the Edit right here, which was a huge hit for for uh, Art of Noise. So anyway, that's what we're dealing with here with Gary Langan. It's a little bit of everything. It's a little sloppy. It's a little scruffy kind of of a conversation. It kind of goes all over the place. Uh, but, and we did it in four different chunks. So if it feels a little disjointed or all over, that probably contributes. But anyway, so much great music. And Gary is a legend in his own right. Okay? Uh, I hope you enjoy this. I don't, for the life of me, remember where he was when we talked. Probably somewhere, I think, outside of London. So when it comes to you, I have been thinking where I want to begin. And I'm sure Queen is where a lot of people start. But I actually want to start with Yes. Because uh, 90125 is in my top... 10 top 20 favorite albums of all time. And I know that that album is sort of an outlier 
Um, well, the 80s were sort of an outlier for Yes in general because Trevor Horn had glossed up their sound so much and so well. I'm a huge Trevor fan, therefore I'm a big fan of yours as well. Tell me everything about the creation of 90125 because my understanding is that it started, they had broken apart. They were going to, some of them were going to start this new band called Cinema, I believe. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so tell me about it. Okay. I, 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 I actually struggle with that album. Really? Because, yeah, well, because I'm a Yes fan. Mm. One, of the, one of the albums that kind of uh, threw the, the launch button in my head as to what I wanted to do in my life when I was about 14 there are, there are a couple of albums uh, that that came my way. One of them being the Yes album, mm. and I, I used to listen to that album incessantly on these Bakelite headphones. <laughs> uh, and I, I, and when it and yours yours is no disgrace. Where the guitar solo it pans mm. from mm. left to right. Well, that really did blow me away as mm. a kid. Mm. Uh, I, I thought. God, how do they do that? That's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. <laughs> and uh, so I, I was a big Yes fan. I lost touch with them when we got onto like topographic oceans. I mm-hmm. thought that was going a, going a little bit too too far. But so when it came to nine hundred one two five, yeah, it's a it's a bloody amazing album. It is. There's some there's some brilliant stuff on it. It's one of the albums that I, 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 I truly do enjoy listening to because it, it, there's always bits I've forgotten about or mm-hmm. can't remember. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So how, how, sorry, okay, you wanted to know how it came about? Well, or, like or, what? Uh, one well, thing yes, I... was a bit of a pickle at that point. Really, yeah, yeah. In their career, you know, there, there's been so many comings and goings. All right, with that band, and and I, as you said, there there was the the uh, the spin-off. Um, that was that was going to be cinema, but then uh, Tre- Trevor and Jeff came along, and um, I don't know how the politics worked, but it, you know the the fish ended up keep keeping keeping the name, mm-hmm. uh, and and we started an album. Yeah, uh, there, there was lo- lots of politics, and I tended not to get involved in that because it was kind of. Um, to use a you know, sort of way above my pay grade, mm-hmm. if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, there were you know, there were big, big players talking and things like that, so I, I stayed away. But um, they were they were a bit of a pickle, you know. I'd done the album before drama.
Yeah. I've always heard that that album was called Drama sort of because there was a lot of drama. Oh, no. I, I always say that that album was so aptly named. It really was. And <laughs> I, 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 you're, you're, you're actually the only other person who's ever said that. Really? I've never really... I've never really said it publicly, yeah. but um, I've said it private publicly, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, yeah it, it was it was hell. Yeah. It was oh. absolute hell. Why? There, there was no. Oh gosh, it was all kicking off with with Steve. He wanted. He wanted. Oh, he just, he okay. Just took, he he took he took he took a bunch of slaves. Uh, tapes up to uh-huh. the roundhouse and did all the guitar work by himself up there and then he, he returned one day and I walked into the control room and there was a pile of multi-tracks <laughs> and it was all, all, all Steve's work oh. and um, oh, the arguments that ensued after that oh, it was ridiculous oh, okay yeah so so when it got to 90125 and mm-hmm. you know um and Trevor had done the sung the drama album, and he now, and they they'd done a tour, hadn't they? Yes, mm-hmm. in between drama and nine oh one two five. So Trevor Rabin comes in. He wasn't there before. Yeah. I was curious no. how the guys in Yes adjusted to this new sound. I have no, I have no idea, John. Really? Not a clue. While it was happening, are oh, people like Chris Squire oh, and John saying this what? is not us? This doesn't sound like us. Or what's well, there? Where's there? No, 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 Do you know? No, I, I I never heard a, a, any any sentences or conversations within the band of of well, especially the Fitch mm. saying kind of you know uh, uh, this isn't us. Mm. He, he was so into nine oh one two five man alive. He really was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He he put his heart. He really did kind of sling his heart at that album. Yeah, I have to say. Yeah, you know, but. I, I, I mean, don't know whether it was like, you know, a sort of a last ditch attempt. If if this didn't work, then what was I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of thing. Okay. So don't, don't know really, okay. you know, just kept my feet on the shop floor and mm-hmm. did what I was told to do. Do you remember was, creating any a story behind the creation of any of those songs like owner of a lonely heart or leave it or it could happen. Do you remember like, yeah, I can remember them all. I can remember them all, John. I can tell you, um, I sat my first, my first assistant. I had to second assistant for the first time in my life uh-huh. on, on, on that album, and that was on Leave It.
Oh. And we were, well, we were up at Battery Studios. And, and we had worked for days and days and days doing all those vocal parts. Yeah. All those acapella parts. It was painful, but what, great. But the, the, the multi-track was, it looked like a zebra crossing. It, were, <laughs> it had so many edits on it. It was ridiculous. Yeah, okay? yeah. When it, when, it used to, when it used to spool it back, all you'd hear was ding, 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 as all the edits run, run through. Anyway, it was, it was, a, it was being done, you know, we were working 48 trucks. So if I do the same, exactly the same edits on the slave tapes as I've done on the masters, all right, the time code might jump around in hours or whatever, but as long as they, both bits of time code do exactly the same thing, they will stay in sync, right? Anyway, so, I come in one morning, and and the the assistant had been using. He, he was used to only looking at the time code clock, to, as his as clock as to where he was. But of course, I'm leave it. It would leap from one hour, go back two hours, go forward three hours as it went through verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And so this was hacking him off. Okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I came in one morning. I'm absolutely knackered, okay? <laughs> and I'm standing there, and the track's playing, and I'm kind of tapping my foot to it. And I'm thinking, oh, something funky happening. Oh, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. And, 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 and the tapes were drifting apart in sync. Hmm. That he was erasing the time code mm. and putting down new time code with the machines running freely by themselves. Ugh. It was insane. <laughs> and and I, I just went over to the tape machines, and we, and we were both, both hands touched the stop buttons on each machine, all right? And I turned around and looked at him, and he said to me, what are you doing? And I said <laughs> to him, ah, a rhetorical question, what are you doing, <laughs> all right? And because and, I knew we were fucked, excuse my friend. That's okay. fine. Like, uh, the, 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 the integrity of this has now gone to magnetic heaven, <laughs> right? Like we, we, are, we are absolutely stuffed. So there's no point in shouting, screaming, or whatever. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Okay. <laughs> uh, and he said to me, he said, oh, I was getting so pissed off with those time codes jumping all over the place. I couldn't follow them. So I've done a great job, you know. I've put new time code on. And I said, right, you and me, we're just going to go and talk to Trevor Horn and, and, and you're going to tell him what, what you've done. All right? <laughs> and I said, and I don't think you'll be walking back through the control room door. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I, John, I then spent the next week rebuilding that oh. song. Oh. Flying, all, flying all those backing vocals by, by hand. Oh. I had to mix them down onto onto half inch and then spin them back in and rebuild the, the multi-tracks. Oh. You can, oh, I mean, that man, song is a so, piece of work, but you can tell that you, so you, much you, work went into it. It's a piece of work, mate. Mate, <laughs> mate, mate. Mate. <laughs> mate, piece of work. Gives me shivers when I listen to that bloody song. Oh. So, good. so yeah, so that that that's leave it. Okay. Um, it, it it can happen. All right. But that was the first track we we recorded. That was Townhouse Studio One. Mm.
To me, is one of the best mixes on the album. Mm. Nice. There's some stuff going on in there, and it's just absolutely brilliantly put together. Yes. And I pat myself on the back when I say that. Good. Yeah, such a strong. Well, the whole album is so good. Yeah, each track's got got a story behind it. I believe it. Telling you, it was it, it was. It had some hilarious moments in it. You okay. couldn't make it up. Okay. Half the time. I think you and I might have to talk again and do and just talk about nine oh one two five. It is fantastic. But it I'm, is. Yes, album. <laughs> Did you have anything to do with Big Generator? I think Trevor was like an executive no, producer no, on that one. No. Yes, he did. No, I bowed out at that okay. point. Okay. Um, two albums, two albums, and various bits of Bob. Was, yeah. Um, you know, look, I love them dearly, and they're great, but it, 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 in, the intensity that they put you through mm. is it, somewhat insane. Yeah, uh, I, I can see that. My... Yeah, anyway, so back, back to... Yeah, so you were asking... So, okay, yeah, so I had asked if it's ever, you know, challenging to work with Trez, Trevor considering his, like, fussiness in the studio, and that's what I've always heard. Challenging. That's one way of describing it. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> The guy's a genius. Yeah, he is. Uh, He's um, he's an utter genius. Uh, Yes, it is. It is extremely challenging. But the great thing about Trevor is that you know he's right, Mm. and that's so so annoying. (laughs) You know, because he he would he he task you with doing oh some incredible things, right? And and he would just task you with it, and then go away and leave you to it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they 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 were some of them were just ridiculously challenging, but you knew that um, there was something about what he was saying and where he was going and what he was doing. Well, as far as I was concerned, I knew he was right, and if mm-hmm. I was to take a shortcut or um, how else can I describe it? Um, um, be complacent about uh-huh. any part of the task. Um, it will come back and bite me. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be so frustrating sometimes. Yeah. Quite honestly, he, he's, he's, he's a genius. We, 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 we really never ever talked. That was the amazing thing about huh. Trevor and I. Yeah. With, with a project. Um, 
There was never any huge pre-production chat or blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I just understood this guy completely. Interesting. And, and, and he trusted me implicitly. Wow. Wow. And, and, and we were... People would be amazed. We, 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 we would, you know, sit there and say nothing to each other. But I'd go and do something, and it would be exactly the thing to do. And he, he, he would do the same, same with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we, we did have a great, great relationship. Yeah, he, it must have. I mean, Art of Noise. You're, uh, you guys form a a group together, basically, right? You eventually leave. Is it because at this point you've just had enough of? That working style? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 if, you, if you look at my kind of histography, discography, uh-huh. um, it, it, it goes all over the place. Yeah. And that's because, as far as I'm concerned, music is endless. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one genre of music that I, I try to get into and I desperately would love to do. I'd love to make a country album. Really? Oh my lord! I would love to make a country album, huh. but I, I sort of had enough doing, working with Trevor, and, and it, it led to having having this band. If I hadn't worked with Trevor and done some of the most crazy things uh-huh. with him, I would never, and the art of noise wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Trevor, Trevor taught me that that, that there are no rules, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you are, then you bend them. Yeah, they fit your way, all right. Fascinating, and, and that 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 that's that's his his ethos. I get it. Is it true that because you have a co-write on close to the edit, and yeah. uh, Prodigy samples that hay in their yeah. Firestarter song? get a co-writing credit on that and therefore royalties yeah that's crazy (laughs) it is crazy how that works i know it's mad it is and it's just the hey right but i i it 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 chuffs my my daughter when it happened as you can imagine yes that's gonna co-write with the prodigy (laughs) i saw that and i'm looking it up and i'm like what just because they sampled the hay yeah yeah 
Oh. Yeah, and I know, and I know that's Camilla Pilkington Smythe, that's hey. Oh, <laughs> God. Wow. Is that, uh, I, I, so we cover sensitively the business side of things on here. Uh, you've been involved in lots of big albums, but that song might be one of the biggest in a roundabout way. Uh, no, I know. It's nuts, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So you get some nice mailbox money from Firestarter. Well, every yeah, time it gets yeah. But by the time you're breaking it, breaking it apart, there's not much there. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's, a, there's a decimal point and a few noughts involved. <laughs> got it, got it. But still, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But yeah, okay. Yeah, so, Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, so yeah, so when it when it got to the art of noise, I I really wanted to go it alone. I wanted to start doing finding my own feet. Yeah, yeah, I understand. You know? I have a lot to ask you about your stuff too, but um, yeah. I, let's cover the let's finish with the Trevor chapter. ABC, obviously. Uh, right. Lexicon of Love is also one of my favorite albums of all time. And right. I just uh, love yeah. Trevor's work and your work because it's just so lush and beautiful and such ear candy. Um, and I have you to gotta, be honest, I don't think ABC uh, were ever as good. Huh? I don't think ABC were ever as good as they were on that oh, Lexicon oh, of Love no, album. I dispute that. I, I, really? We, we, can debate, we can debate that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I know it, you did it, other it, things it, that it, I'm going to talk about. Terms that too. people involved. You must, you must include Anne. Yeah, Anne Dudley. Talk True. about uh, the lexicon of love. Yeah, because that—that's where Anne really suddenly boomed and blossomed and whatever. The, mm -hmm. the, the string arrangements mm -hmm. on that are just brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, they, you, they really, really are. They really are. They make that, that, that album. That album was all, all, all the right people being at the right place at the right time. Mm. Mm -hmm. It really was. It was one of those albums that that clicked. There was an amazing moment. I met David Bowie on that album. Ooh, really? Tell me. Yeah, about yeah. It. This is a good story. This is a really good story. Tony has his own studio in Soho, mm -hmm. and it, and called Gooder. And I've worked there a couple of times, and it's a good room. So I, I said to Trevor that we should go there and, and cut some of the drum tracks there. So we booked it, and. Um, so I, I set up with Dave Palmer and we've kind of got the demos and everything mm -hmm. and, and then Trevor, you know, tasks me and him to do to do about two or three of the drum tracks on the album. So Trevor would come in the morning and da 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 and we'd um, say what we're gonna do today and blah 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 and then he 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 he'd he'd, he'd bugger off. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, anyway, so about day two, I'm sitting there and it's just me and Dave Palmer. And Dave's out in the studio, and I'm obviously in the control room. And the control room door is behind me, so I can't see if anybody comes into the room, yeah? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so, and, I, and I, I play things quite loud, John, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not one for quiet. Right. And anyway, so while, while we're doing a pass or whatever, somebody comes into the room, opens the door, and stands there. And when I stop the tape, you, you know, you have this feeling that, oh, somebody's close or in the room. Uh -huh, so, uh -huh. so I turn around, all right, and there is David Bowie. Oh. Okay. Oh, Who wow. Is beyond, beyond a hero. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and, and I, so 
I look at him and he looks at me and he says to me, hi, I'm David. <laughs> God, I know that. And he said, I've, Tony told me that this band are going to be really hot and one to look out for. He said, would you mind if I came and sat with you? No way. Well, what am I to say? <laughs> so piss off, go on, get on with it, go away. So, of course, he, he then spends the next three afternoons sitting at the console with me. No so, way. Bowie, me, and Dave Palmer. <laughs> wow! Wow! Oh, my gosh. Yeah, what no, do you guys no, talk no, about? No, what does no, he say? God, no, Nothing. We didn't really talk too much. He was okay. just really into what they were doing. He would he would come kind of about two o'clock ish, and he'd stay for about an hour or so, mm. a couple of hours maybe. Oh my Watch God. me work. <laughs> check out what was going on. Yeah, that's it was cool. Very cool. Oh my gosh, that's insane. Blew me away. Yeah, <laughs> you can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, tell so, me. So, yes. Yeah, tell that, me a story behind. One song from uh, Lexicon of Love. Anyone you want. song that I enjoy doing most. And it's because I sort of have a fetish for these sort of songs. Is all of my heart. Yeah. I love a big ballad. Yes. upon a star if that might help the stars collide if you decide wish upon a star if that might help what's it like to have loved and to lose her touch what's it like to have loved Oh yes, and and, and I, I was just I was in my element. That we did that at the townhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in my element doing that track. With I love I loved every moment of it. Mm-hmm. I loved I just loved every moment of it. Mm-hmm. And, and and Trevor sort of gave me a free reign on that one. I could I could go where where I wanted on it. Wow, I love um, that too. So the, the, Good one. Um, the, the, the other track that I really like is Dates Them. Yes. Good one. Yes. Everything 
I still, I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to avoid the obvious and 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 tracks uh-huh. that maybe people haven't really kind of cottoned on to. But Bait, Bait Stamp's a pretty pretty funky track. Yes, it is. Track. Let me ask yeah. you: uh, when when you guys are doing a project like this, is the band yeah. even around? Because there's a perception sometimes that mm. that Trevor is like, okay, thanks, got it. You guys go away and let us. Scientists that, 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 make that, the that album. That is it. That is it. That, that it. Trevor, n- Trevor has never made two albums with one artist. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Yep. Yep. Because everything goes into that one album. Yeah. The, 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 the person he's come closest to is Seal. Yes. <laughs> In doing more than one album. Yeah. <clears throat> but the way you're dead right, the way that Trevor works is... He comes in and he makes your album, mm-hmm. and it will be brilliant. Yeah, but he, he is going to drain absolutely everything out of you. Yeah, you're, you're going to be kind of zapped by the end of it. Well, and you're going to be on the sidelines. You're not going to have much of a say. It doesn't sound like in how your uh, album no, turns you, out. You, 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 if you take Trevor on as your your producer, then you've you've got to give him the reins yeah. and, and, and just sit back. Yeah. If you want to get into a debate on that, on on how your album should be, you've got the wrong guy. <laughs> right. I'm telling you. And, and, and where where it did go wrong for him slightly was when he got asked to produce Foreigner. Mm. I don't know this story. Oh, okay. So he was asked to produce Foreigner, all right? Uh-huh. And when he flew out to America... It um, it turned into a co-production Ooh. with um, what's his name, the singer. Oh, uh, with, well, it probably wasn't Lou. It was probably Mick Jones. Oh no, sorry, yeah, Mick Jones. Yeah. So it was going to be a co-production with Mick Jones, and um, and he'd done about six, seven weeks out there in New York. I go into Teddy's offices, and there's a pile of of, of multi track from with the power station in New York. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm like, Dad, I'm not in doing this. <laughs> and these are just demos. I'm thinking, oh, my God. I'm <laughs> 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 so glad I'm not doing this. Anyway, so I, I go in, I go in, in and, and Trevor's sitting, sitting in his little office, and he's looking, he's looking terrible. So I sat down in the chair in the silence, and he's sitting in his desk, and I'm sitting in the silence. I said, you're right, TC. <laughs> and he went, no, cocky. And that, that was my nickname. He used to call me cocky. Okay. And um, no, cocky, I'm not. So, you know, pause. He said, um, um, Mick Jones wants me to co-produce the Foreigner album with him. And I just turned around and said, you've never co-produced in your life. <laughs> 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 Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. So, so you might as well tell him right now, here and now. Yeah. You know? yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's good. Oh, man. When you come right. back later in the 2000s and you do the Traffic album with ABC, 
Like, mm. for instance, it kicks off with 16 Seconds to Choose, which is a really hard-rocking song, almost like they want to yeah. let you know, you think you know ABC, you don't know. This is where, th- we are this band, too. Is that sort of the statement? Uh, yes, and you see, and, and and that's what happened with Beauty Stab. Yeah. You say, this is my first production, you know, but yeah. anyway, <laughs> so I got a real kicking, all right? But that, that wasn't written because the lexicon of love had been kind of had everything sucked out of them. Hmm. That was all planned. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, every, like the, 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 the label knew what was coming next. It wasn't going to be Lexington going to love part, part two or, or you know, you know, Mark, Mark two. Mm-hmm. It was going to be it was going to be something different. Well, and that was one of the reasons why I said yes to doing it because there was no way I could follow the Lexington of love. Jesus, yeah. man. What are you, some sort of idiot? Right. You know, <laughs> right, right, yeah. You know, it's like Christ, that seminal, that bloody album. Forget yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, unless this band wants to go somewhere else, you know, it, uh-huh. it was going to be a point, pointless exercise. So, yeah, when it came when it came to doing traffic, you know, that, that was Martin just you know just reminding everybody. I think. Yeah. Yeah, you know, look, look what, what what he can do, what they can do. Yeah, I get it. Um, I, and a lot of those bands, synthy bands, especially the Sheffield bands, ABC did it, Human League did it, Go West yeah. did it. All the, when their yeah. debut albums are synthy, they feel boxed in, and they want the follow up to prove to everybody that they're actual yeah. musicians who play guitars yeah. and have have a broader yeah. spectrum. And those second albums yeah. are often not as successful because they're not what people have loved about them from the first one but the, as an artist they want to expand you know but but at this point kind of artist and punter will never or punter will never understand artists yeah doing yeah. that you yeah. know yeah i get it speaking of which um let's get off of trevor for a minute we are going to get back to him eventually sure. but let's talk about spandau ballet because you come in okay. and you work on the diamond album which is yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a classic and it's got, they're still sort of in their experimental phase. You know, there's chat number one on there.
There's, yeah. They haven't become the true band yet. No. And then right now, you come back later and do Through the Barricades, which is a great album, but is them like no, shooting for stadium? Missed one out. You've missed one out. You've missed one out. Did you do Parade too? No, I did. Trevor and I did one track with them. You did? Which one? Instinction. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. Trevor was kind of asked to do the album, all right? I, yes, we did, right. I, I worked on, on Diamond with them, and that was because I knew Richard James Burgess mm. when he used to be in Landscape. Well, I was a bit of a Landscape fan. And that's where JJ and I met okay. at a Landscape gig. And that's how, you know, you know but anyway, that's a story mm-hmm. for another day. And, and so... Then I, you know, it was it was Richard that asked if I, you know, engineer some tracks. Mm. You know, with his band, band out about it. Yeah, and they they were pushing things out all over the place. It was right. It was a bit of a hodgepodge that album, really. It is. I just talked to Tony Hadley recently, and we talked right. about Diamond because the first side is all the groovier songs, and the second side yeah. is all this far out experimental oh. stuff that's oh, just bizarre. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Then, then what happened was um, we, I think, going just glimpsing back to Trevor, we'd done uh, Malcolm's album, and mm-hmm. it was after Malcolm's album, and he was asked if he wanted to do a Spandau album, and so he knew that I knew the band. So I would say, mm-hmm. Not quite sure because I knew what Gary was like. Okay, mm-hmm. and um, wait, is that good or bad? Well, he, he, he's pretty strong-minded. Okay, the Gary Kemp, mm-hmm. and so I, I would sort of gently point things out to Trevor while we were talking about other things. Da, 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 da. And so then the idea was that he, he would do um, one one track with mm-hmm. them and see how it went, and that was a track called Instinction. Mm. Anyway, so moving fast forward, well, anyway, Trevor didn't enjoy working with him, so yeah, he only did that one track. Okay. Um, and so then, yes, I, I got the call to do through, through the barricades mm-hmm. with him, you know, which I co-produced with Gary. Mm-hmm. Well, by then they've they've gone from being this experimental post-punk new wave band to being one of the biggest bands in Europe anyway, filling stadiums 
fight for ourselves is a giant, you know, rock anthem that's nothing like what you would have found on Diamond. How were they different by that point? You mentioned Gary and what he might be like to work with. Is he? Um, is his head just ten times bigger by this point? What's it like? No, he wanted he wanted Spandau to be a rock man, mm. uh, and so um, you know it was sort of the only thing they hadn't done. I guess. I yeah, don't that makes know sense. Where the thing came from, but it really was that. They they wanted to do the big rock thing. I think mm-hmm. might be wrong there, but you know if you think about it, there was the big tour and everything, and da, 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 da. it was all quite planned. Yeah, yeah. And because uh, perception about me is I'm good at making a, a rock noise, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. and I, I've always got on with every member of the band, so. Then I got the call, you know, when I um, mm-hmm. when I co-produced it with Gary, which I did. Okay, okay. And, yeah, um, I just was curious how they were different. You know, I'm guessing they're, um, you know, they're arriving in limos this time. Their clothes are nicer. There, there might be more women around. There might be more drugs around. You know, because they can afford all this. Yeah, yeah, and um. The, the whole thing behind Through the Barricade is that they wanted to get off... Uh, um, I've got to get the labels right here. Oh, yeah. Labels. Okay. Um, I got off CBS, or they went on to CBS. Okay. Oh, that's right. They got they, they were on Chrysalis before. That's what I thought. And they they were extremely unhappy with how things were going. And they wanted to get it off Chrysalis, so they found a flaw in the contract, and they, you know, um, litigated and everything, mm. and um, managed to get out of the deal. Mm-hmm. And then, then they did. Um, so then they were out, out for a, a new, looking for a new label. You know, by this time, you know, they're quite a big band, as you stated. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. A highly successful pop band for sure. Mm-hmm. So they kind of let it let it be known, and um, they did a tax year in, with the premise of signing a new deal within that tax. Oh, okay, year. okay. And that was 
with CBS. And so it it was all going to be a, a new change, a new label, new this, new that. So this is where it gave Gary, I think, the opportunity to write write a, a rock album. Okay. Because he didn't he didn't want to write another. Yeah, that makes another, sense. Another parade or whatever, you know. He's done yeah. that. Yeah. He's done that. Right. Okay. And, uh, so yeah, that that was self funded that album for quite a while. So. But by doing that, it did kind of elevate their their the statuses in their heads. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the houses started to turn up. Yes. Um, the the fast cars yeah. turned up. Um, you know, not Steve Norman went out and bought Lotus. You think, but. Well, and the, there's a big music movement going on. I mean, there's, you know, Simple Minds, The Alarm, U2, all these bands are just getting bigger, bigger sound to yeah, fill those stadiums. They did, they, they, they did the whole thing that this whole tax year started out in Ireland. No. Oh. You know, so, and I, I, I would, I would go over there. I was working here during, I, I used to be able to go over there every weekend so for about, three, four weeks, whatever, mm. I, w- I, would, I, I would go over to um, this rehearsal room just outside Dublin. But they, they, they started their tax here in Dublin. So, yeah, they're in touch with Bono and all that lot. Right. You know, it, yeah. was, um, it, was, it, was, it was fueling their, the fire, of the rock fire in their, in their heads. I, I totally get it. Totally get it. Um, okay, let me ask you about one. I want to talk about Malcolm. One more one more of those oh, uh, trouble. I love talking about Malcolm. <laughs> Are you being I'm sarcastic? Being really? No, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. That was I, that that album doesn't get talked about enough, John. It's a masterpiece. It's a, it is one of the most amazing explosions friend, of creativity I've ever heard. Genius. Yes, huh? yes, I agree with you. It really is, and people don't get it. No. It's genius. It, it is. It is. So let me Look, ask we you. Started, we started with sweet bugger all, I'm telling you. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> oh. Well, whose idea? And, we just we talked about. We up with that album. And to me, it's like man alive. Yes. That is just phenomenal. Yes. That really is. 12 different points of the of the globe, 12 different you know genres of music. You, we just yeah. talked about how Trevor owns and micromanages all of his productions. Uh, yeah. Are he and Malcolm, does Malcolm come to Trevor and say, I want to incorporate music from all over the world on each yeah. song? Or does Trevor say to Malcolm, I have an idea for your solo album. You're right. going to like no, it when I'm done. Ma- 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 Malcolm came to Trevor and said... Um, I, I, I want to make a, a, a world a world music album. Yeah, basically, I want to go around the world. I want to collect all these things, and then make an album. And that that was it. And wow. it was such a wacky idea that Trevor couldn't say no. Yeah, you know, um, um, Jill, who's managed his, his wife, you know, yeah. um, she 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 didn't want him to do it. Mm. didn't think it was a good move but he he wanted to do it wow he really wanted yeah. to do it he had, so, he had a lot of he had a lot of respect 
Yeah, if you ever meet my wife, sadly you won't. But yeah, you know, I have a lot of respect for that guy. A lot of respect. Really? Why? People think he's a buffoon and whatever, and and a chance that no, he's as bright as a button. Really? And he is as funny as anything. He really is. Wow. I learned one thing. I well, I learned lots of things being with Malcolm. You know, and he used to call me boy. He never used to call me Gary. I don't know why. I was just always boy. <laughs> and um, we were in Johannesburg. And we were doing all the Suedo stuff, all, all that stuff. And, uh, and Malcolm is dressed. The, the apartheid is still in place mm-hmm. in, in, in South Africa. Okay, so you can only get on buses that says for whites only. And you can only go in toilets that are for whites only. So it's pretty heavy. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was one hotel in Johannesburg where blacks and whites were allowed to check in. So that's where we go. So we're at breakfast one morning and Trevor, uh, Trevor's not down. He's reading some book in his room. And so it's just me and Malcolm having breakfast. And Malcolm is dressed in a Vivian Westwood <laughs> crocheted suit. And, and, and it was one of those Buffalo girl suits with the baggy back to the Yes. trousers and everything and yeah. and the fly that kind of buttoned up halfway across your hip you know it was pretty right. wacky right. and it was all great <laughs> and, uh, and, and and I'm sitting there I'm thinking this is, this is nuts this is completely nuts and Malcolm is a redhead uh-huh. without any shadow of a doubt okay right. he is a carrot top right. and he his skin colour is whiter than white alright and he is wearing this semi-see-through crocheted buffalo girl suit. It was nuts, okay? <laughs> so we're sitting there and we're talking away. And he, he says something like this to me. He says, boy, people get confused with two words, won't and can't. They say, oh, I can't do that. What they're actually saying to you is, I won't do it. Mm. And I, I have never, ever forgotten that. I love and that. It's so goddamn true. Yes. I love that. And the amount of times people have come to me, assistants or whatever, I can't do that. Don't give me that bullshit. You can do it. You just won't do it. All right. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So when things like, so like, let's take Double Dutch off that album. That's the, I, yeah. I mean, the, the Supreme team from New York, yeah. the radio guys show up throughout most yeah. of that album.
Like, who's yeah. whose idea is that? Who knows who the Supreme Team is? Who decides me. to go record them? Really? Me. You're the one? Me, 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 me. Wow. I, I, we're in New York. We go to New York. We start out. We, we leave London, and we go to New York. And um, there is nothing happening, all right? Uh-huh. Trevor hasn't got a clue where to start. Um, Malcolm is, you know, just sprouting ideas. And that's where Trevor came up with the phrase, look, he said to me, Cocky, this album's going to be like knitting fog. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. Anyway, anyway, um, an old friend of mine, an old mentor of mine who who taught me everything at Little Psalm Studios in the East End of London, was now living in New York. So as nothing was happening, we'd been there for about like four or five days, and there was no word of booking studios or anything like that. So I, I went and um, hung out with this guy called Gary Lyons, hmm. who produced the first uh, first Foreigner album. Yes, I knew I knew that name. Okay. And so I hang out with him. We go, we go to dinner. We do copious amounts of wine and <laughs> other third party substances. Okay. Uh-huh. And um, I get back to his hotel room, and of course I'm I'm bouncing off the walls. Okay, uh-huh. I've got I'm 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 you know had more had more wine than <laughs> really cared for. Anyway, right. right. <laughs> so and it was in the days when the radio was built into the TV. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Okay, there'd be a little tuner at the side of the TV or whatever. So it's about three o'clock in the morning and I'm, I can't sleep. So I'm thinking, oh, well, so anyway, I start pushing the buttons on the, on this radio tuner on the TV. And one of them is tuned to PSB. Okay? Uh-huh. And I'm listening and it's these two guys. It's the Supreme Team, uh-huh. right? And they've got they're, they're doing this radio show, and I'm and I'm thinking, man, this is pretty wacky. This is wacky. Uh-huh. And I had one of those. I had the first, one of the first Sony stereo cassette portable tape recorder things. And they were, I don't know, you probably remember them. Sure. Anyway, so I, I sat that by the by the the TV, and I recorded about. I don't know, about 20 minutes, half an hour of this show. All right, and, then, and then crashed out and fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I get up in the morning, and I, I listen to it, and I think, wow, this is pretty wacky. Anyway, so that day, I, I give this cassette to Trevor. And he said, Cocky, that's brilliant. This is how we're going to do the album. And that is why... and. So basically, it's the Supreme Team radio show. Yeah, that you recorded and, from the hotel room that night, which I recorded from the TV. <laughs> all, all, all those bits of them on the yeah. radio show are off my cassette player. No way, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, so I have to ask, like for Buffalo Gals, for instance. Go around the 
Does Malcolm know anything about hip hop? Is he saying no. to you, I've heard this? <laughs> okay, that's what I wondered. Like, how does Malcolm McLaren know this? Man alive, we, 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 we nearly got, I tell you, we nearly got marched out of town by the Sugar Hill Gang. I believe it. <laughs> Man, we, we got summoned, we got summoned. She, she got. It was, what was the woman who was running the, that that game at the time? Uh, the uh, was it Sylvia Robinson? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So she got wind of what Malcolm was up to. Okay. Uh huh. And she wasn't having any of it, John. Seriously. <laughs> I believe it. And we. <laughs> sorry, we got summoned to this club, one of the clubs that she obviously owned. All right, uh -huh. at about eleven o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> it's the three of us, Trevor, Malcolm, and me. And um, so it's just just the emergency lighting on in this club, you know, so it's just those horrible white lights. Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. And, and she is sitting over by the, where the DJ would sit and with a bunch of um, chunky guys all around her. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and she basically tells Malcolm to fuck off. Oh, and if, if you don't fuck off and leave town, then these guys will be helping you to leave town. Oh, man. Seriously. I believe it. I believe it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm this little white boy from Wimbledon. <laughs> 19. I want, I want my mummy. What is going on here? <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. It was like, it was like something out of, um, oh, some, some movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she was sitting there with this huge chair, and she was not a small woman. No. All right? And she had all these, um, all these, um, you know, chunky guys all uh -huh. turned up, all around her. It was yeah. frightening, John. I believe it. I believe it. Oh, no, 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 Malcolm hadn't got a clue. Not a clue. <laughs> not a clue. Yeah. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Wow. But, but here's the other thing. Um, so we're still searching on, um, um, I, I don't think I've found the radio show at this point, all right? Uh-huh. Um, so Trevor, Trevor's not one for going out and, and, and doing the rock bit of burning the midnight oil, okay? Okay, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm okay for that, or I was in those days. Right. And Malcolm was up for, you know, up for going places. So he used to grab me as his kind of um, wingman, if you like. Mm -hmm. and, and we go out to this club, and we went to this club one night, and um, up until about one o'clock in the morning, it was like an LGBT club, yeah? Uh-huh. And then at one o'clock, that, that, all, all that clientele left. And then this, these crews came down from the Bronx. Well, I had not a clue what was going on. Yeah. And so what turned up was two scratch DJs, mm. a couple of MCs, um, a graffiti artist, and like this whole mm -hmm. cabaret of things turned up. Yeah. And I watched these guys scratching. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, this is mad. Yeah. This is absolutely mad. You know, when we found the Supreme Team and everything, and I'd seen this scratching, it was like, well, we're going to put you know, two and two together here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Wow. Um, Genius. We did most of, most of the album was done outside the UK, all right? So the, the last bits of it, they were, 
we did back here. Okay. And we flew them over, right? Uh-huh. And I went and spent, I think, a couple of days in the mastering room making up letters from the tapes, all right, so that they could scratch them. Wow. So they could scratch themselves and they would do the whole thing of getting a hot needle and uh-huh. making the, you know, making the physical groove. Yeah. In, in the acetate. It was insane. Well, the mastering engineer just lost the plot with me completely. Wow. He, yeah, well, I, I, you know, I just wanted to... I'm sure. I just wanted 16 bars of these drums, right? And things like that. Right. And he said, you can't do that. I said, can't or won't. <laughs> well, it's got to scroll from the inside continuously. No, it hasn't. You can drop that needle anywhere on that acetate. That's right. Genius. Wow, what a work of art. That album is a work of art. Oh, it is. Oh, there's so many great things about it. Yes. Oh, my Lord. I agree. Like I agree. Working with the hillbillies. I know, love it. Doing, um, doing uh, all, all the, the country stuff. Yes. Hillbilly family. There was the the, the, the grandpa did play t- bass. Really, Grand, grand grandma played Jews harp. Right. Oh yeah, seriously. And then when it came to the end, all right, Malcolm only had hundred dollar bills. They wouldn't accept it. They'd never seen hundred dollar bills. Really? Grandma had never seriously. Grandma had never seen an airplane. She had never left the state of Tennessee. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh I had no idea what an airplane was. Wow. Someone needs to write a book about that album. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It's, it was, you know, it was fascinating. It sounds like it. Wow. Yeah. I love it. Let me ask you this. One of the things we try to cover on here very sensitively is the business side of things. And you, I'm always especially interested in what producers do. Some of them, like... Trevor now is sort of more of a bass player in like a Dire Straits band, you know, or um, Tony Visconti plays bass in his David Bowie tribute band and stuff like that. And that's great. But some of them, like I talked to Rupert Hine a couple times before he passed away. He's not out there necessarily as a musician, even though he was back in the day. So how do you 
continue to pay your bills? And if that's too pointed a question, forgive me, we can cut it out. But I'm just curious, do you still get points on all the things you produced over the years and that the mailbox money yeah. keeps you afloat? Um, for me, um, it, it, it's the band. It's the art of noise. Okay. Um, in, in terms of income stream um, from production um, work, it's not as it's not as lucrative as it could be, but that mm-hmm. and that's down to the, to the whole business model that goes behind the streaming thing. To be honest, John, yeah. it, it, it it really should be. You know that there, there are enough eighties radio channels out there now to think of bloody battleships. Mm-hmm. There are enough kind of um, you, you know I right. look, look through Tidal and Spotify and, and the, the playlists that they're making up. You know, as mm-hmm. companies, you know, there's there's loads of stuff that I've done, but because of because of the the business model, it, that's appalling, absolutely appalling. Yeah, I, I like my friend Julian Mendelssohn. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he does nothing to do with with the music industry anymore, and, and lives lives on a small farm down in Melbourne. Yeah. Huh. Um, they keep, keep horses, he and his wife. Yeah. Because I had him on here last year. He was fantastic. But he, I didn't realize, I knew he was still tinkering or helping like friends make records, but I didn't realize that he was completely out. But yeah. that makes sense. And that is a shame to have people, legends like you and Julian and others, not have like a place in the current music industry. That's a shame, but that's the reality of it, you know? You, they, you can, they, there's not enough. There's not enough space, John. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the problem you have also now that the music that, that the youngsters make is is far more disposable. Yes. Than, than the music that, let's say, Julian and I used to make. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, there 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 was depth, and if you like, um, uh, re- reward for ownership. If, yes. you, if you had that album, but the, you, the, see, that's that's another thing that, it, that the, the, the the Gen Zs don't don't listen to albums. No, Mm-mm. they they listen to tracks. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's you know it, it, it's different, um, and and it, it, to me, it's just become too disposable. But mm-hmm. that's like so much of life for them as they yeah. see it. It's all it's all disposable. Chuck it away and get get something else. You know, it really is. Yeah, nothing has time to breathe. No, uh, no, it, you know, and, and and you know, technology moves at such a ridiculous speed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it really does. Yeah, you know, I, I'm 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 woefully behind on on some of this computer technology now, mm-hmm. but that's because I just don't have the wherewithal to to keep up with it. Yeah. And, yeah. and also for me, I, I need purpose to do mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't sit here and just figure out some new bit of software just for the sake of it right. and have nothing at the end. But if I, I was doing a project that encompassed using some new software, then uh, I, I'd be right in there because yeah. I knew those at the end. Then it'd be worth your time and your attention and your effort. I get it. Nobody wants to do stuff like devote all that time to something that's not going to pay off. <laughs> Human beings aren't built that way, you know. Yeah, but 
but you, you, there's a bit of you thinks, well, I, I should know these things, and I just mm-hmm. think, well, should I? Do I? Do I really need to? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, for where I'm at with technology and where the band is at, it, it's it's all it's all fine. You know, I, I can see me and something to do with the art and noise uh, will be. I reckon that I've got about five, eight years mm. out there, by which time I'll be 70-something. So yeah. I think by then I might have had enough. Yeah. I don't know. I could see that. I don't know. I could see that. Um, okay, let's talk about fun stuff. <laughs> you open to that? Let's talk about some of your fun music. Um, yeah, last time... Last time we talked, I think we covered most of the Trevor Horn stuff. I I could honestly just each album de- de- deserves its own hour or two. But I am we curious. Did. What's that? We we talked we talked about Malcolm's album, didn't we? Yes, we did. That was fascinating. Um, we might have to come back and do a, like a deep dive on that album one of these days. I would love to hear okay. the whole story. Um, Speaking of Malcolm, so uh, one of our listeners, Brian Weingarten, had some questions about what it was like working with Malcolm and working with John Lydon, which you did when you produced the Public Image Limited album, Happy. Were they of similar temperaments? Are they both more idea people? Like, we, I got the impression that Malcolm's more the idea guy. He's not the one in there, like, noodling on a guitar. But what's Johnny like to work with? Is he more of an idea guy too, or is he in there as well, like tinkering with things and playing instruments? No, no, he doesn't play any, any instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not dissimilar. Okay. But, but John is far more musical than than Malcolm. Hmm. Mal- Malcolm's uh, his musical attributes, I wouldn't have said, were that high. Hmm. He really. Trevor used to call him a concept merchant. Yes. Makes uh, sense. Malcolm pluck concepts out of the air and, yeah. and then give them to you to, to make make happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas John, he, he knew what his songs should sound like. Like John, John and I had a massive argument, massive argument. I didn't see him for three days. He threw the toys out the pram big time. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, I said... The, the, these tracks could do with some girl backing vocals, and he basically told me to fuck off. Really? Yeah. And he said, "I'm not having any girl Nancy girl vocals on my album." And I go, "John, it needs it. It'd be really cool. Uh-huh. It'd be really sexy and sassy." And you know, and he literally bugged off for three days. So I thought, "Well, fuck you. I'm just going to get on and do it." Okay, is this so I, I, is this rules and regulations? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
it sounds really sassy and it great. It does. It's, it's great. It makes that song so much better. Yeah, it's just have you know a bunch of the band singing it. It was like oh, it was a regular. Uh-huh. Like, and um, and so he came back after about three days, and I was you know it was playing, and um, and he came and sat down. He didn't say a goddamn word. <laughs> so after about ten minutes, he goes, "Pretty good, isn't it, John?" <laughs> yes, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> he lost. He lost that one. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, it's yeah. great. That's great. Um, and, and, and I had to go through a whole. Um, uh, he put me through a whole mental test. Mm. Um, I, I was late starting the album. I was about two or three days late. I was trying to finish up then Jericho. My own. That's my next question. Okay. Yeah, let's okay, t- and, Let's go uh, next. And I was finishing off that, that those tracks, Sugarbox and the Big Area. Mm-hmm. I was a couple of days late, but I, I knew that they had enough to be getting on with. You know, they needed to work out two or three more songs and, and things like that. There was homework and whatever schoolwork mm-hmm. they needed doing, right? So I wasn't too, too panicked anyway. So when I turned up, we were going to work in this residential studio. And I had a long, long dining, big, old, solid dining table. And there were only, well, let's face it, there were only kind of three in the band, me uh, uh, and John uh, and the assistant. So there was plenty of space on this table. Okay, mm-hmm. So I, I got there and I got, got sort of unpacked, blah, 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 blah. And I, I, went, I went down for dinner. Anyway, so Lyden sits right next to me. Right, he couldn't sit any closer. Didn't say a word. Not hello, nothing, all right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then uh, he, he gets his knife and, knife and fork, and he starts just banging them on the table on their ends like this. And just doesn't stop. And this went on for minutes and oh. minutes. Oh, my God. Okay? And it's like, what do I do? Do I react or do I ignore? I think we'll go for ignore. Uh-huh. Then, when my main meal came up, John's came up too, and his was a plate of peeled raw garlic. What? <laughs> at half a, dozen, half a dozen bulbs that had all been peeled and laid out on the table. All right? And he, he ate all of them. Oh. Yeah. And then he turns to me and goes, what fucking time do you call this, Langan? <laughs> and his breath was like, oh, it was like, it was like, oh, it was a killer, John. Oh, my God. <laughs> killer, killer, five paces, rump up, you know. <laughs> yes. It was just, Hideous, and I just would not rise to the bait. I said something like, "You knew I was going to be late. You had lots to do." And I got up and left. I thought, "I can't. I'm not going. I'm not going to rise to the bait here. Oh, you're, you're really pushing me." <laughs> and after that, we became not real good friends, but we we, we became we became became friends until, yeah. until we got 
we got back, we got to London, and I wanted to put the backing boat, the girls on, and then, then it all kicked off again. Oh, know? my gosh. Oh, that's the best. Every time someone comes on here and tells a John Lydon story, they are, without yeah. a doubt, the best. He is nuts. Uh, uh, he, he, he's got, he's got, he is so witty. Uh-huh. There was one time I was, I was walking down the... Uh, have you been to London? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I was walking through Notting Hill, yeah? Uh-huh. And uh, he, he had a place there, all right? And it was in the middle of the summer. And uh, suddenly, from behind me, I hear this, Oi, Langan! <laughs> <laughs> and I turn round, and it's Lydon standing up in the passenger seat of this pink Cadillac, all right? Hanging oh. onto the windshield and shouting at me. And... What was it? What his wife? Who's the wife at the time? Wife. I don't she remember. She was the of the German newspaper. Yeah, um, I can't remember the name of his wives. And, and and she was driving. It was just the most obscene sight ever. He was just. He was just a great character. Yeah. He really. Yeah. yeah. But he had more, more. He was more musical than Malcolm. Okay. Malcolm has just concepts. Okay. Um, I right. want to ask you specifically about the recording of the song Seattle. That's one of my favorite songs ever, certainly of the 80s, definitely of PILs. Um, to, com to kind of piggyback on that, another question that came from our listener, Brian Weingarten, was what it was like working with John McGill. How do you say his last name? John McGill. John McGill. McGill. And I wondered if, because he sounds so good on that song in particular, I wonder if there was a connection there. Uh, he, he was a fantastic guitarist, but I think sadly no longer with us, with us if I've got it right. I think you might be right, yeah. I, how I worked with them was that the, 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 all, all three of them, the drum and bass player and guitarist, were all such great musicians, right, that I thought, mm -hmm. you know what, I'm just going to leave them to it and see what they come up with. Uh. And, and that's kind of how I have... Um, put too much uh, or fiddle about musically too much okay all, all, all we needed all I needed was some really I, I, I kind of figured it out that, that John sung you know um, across a groove really more than anything else mm. it, was, it was almost a, you know I don't know like 
uh, ratting in some respect. Yes, that makes sense. Yes. Uh, and so as long as, and I, so I kind of left them to it. I remember getting that album for my 14th birthday from my friend, uh, cassette, I should say. And um, if I'm honest about it, Seattle and Rules and Regulations were the songs I liked the best. The rest, I wasn't as keen on. And um, I don't even know what happened to that tape. I probably got lost yeah. in high school or something. See, that that was the original groove. The dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it was, again, you know, it really was an album where if you fiddled around with it, you, you were likely to... Um, not destroy it, but mm-hmm. um, if you if you went, you know, there are some some bands and, and acts you've got to get in and start opening up the, 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 the you know the cans a little bit and, yeah. and digging around. Um, but with them, as I said, it was about it was more about letting them go and and see where they were going to take it. Fascinating, because they wouldn't do anything that was going to not work with John. Yeah, although John was John never sung over any of the backing tracks when we cut them. I knew that they weren't going to go anywhere that was going to upset him. Mm. So it really was a case of, of just letting them go and then and then just expanding upon it, really. Right. And, and just pushing them, just pushing them slightly, in, in, you know, um, in, in a bigger direction or whatever. Yeah. That makes sense. It was fun. It was fun to do. Good. It was fast. It was a fast album to do. Good. Um, it made so, a change from working with Trevor. Blimey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> get in and get out. Let's not overthink this. Um, My God, between between him and Lipson, honestly, you, 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 you know, a millennium could go by and they still wouldn't have blinked. You know, there was. <laughs> Atrocious, the pair of them. Uh, I've been trying to get Lipson on here for a while too. I'm gonna. Oh, oh you, you need to get him. He is so witty. I love I'll him. I'll tell you a story about Steve. He, a friend of mine, a drummer friend, he, he was doing sessions for Steve, and 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 he knew that Steve was like demigod status. Okay, uh-huh. so he was fairly crapping himself, and I'm saying, look. Steve's all right. He's okay. He's just the same as all of us, okay? <laughs> I said he's a little bit picky or whatever, a little bit fussy, maybe. Anyway, so this poor kid, he does, he goes in, he cuts this track, he does one take, okay? And and he gets from one end to the other without stuffing up in any way. And, and then there's this huge pregnant pause when the tape stopped, normally you, you, you immediately the talkback button goes down, mm-hmm. yeah? Mm-hmm. And you get some communication from from central control or whatever. Right. And anyway, so now there's a big pregnant pause. And Steve just says to this guy, who is crapping himself, he is a bag of nerves, okay? And he's just waiting for the comment, okay? Uh-huh. And, and Steve just goes, ordinary. <laughs> oh! Oh! <laughs> Oh, oh, what a kick in the nuts. <laughs> oh, where do you go from there? Oh. oh. <laughs> dreadful. Anyway, dreadful, dreadful. Ouch. Okay. Yeah, you should get on. He's very funny. I'm going to try and get him on. Um, right. Okay, you mentioned Ben Jericho. Let's talk about that. I love the song Big Area.
but there's not, I mean, they sort of disappeared or I don't know. I think I fought Mark Shaw is his name, right? Yeah. Mark yeah. Bill. I think I follow him on Facebook or something. He posts on there sometimes right. and I think he's back at sort of doing eighties festivals and he's, shows he's, and stuff he's like that. Back doing the Let's, he's doing like festival circuit. Yeah. But that one album, The Big Area, is kind of it. I mean, it, it's the biggest. There were yeah. only like one or two others, maybe. It's a bit, a bit, it's a bit bittersweet that project. To be Ooh. honest, John. Tell me about it. For a start, the album got stolen away from me, oh. and I was so bummed out. I got, I did, um, Big Area, and I, and and I did got two thirds, three quarters of the way through, Sugarbox. And uh, and then I got this call saying uh, you've taken too long, Lang, and you're off the you're off the case. Oh. And what it was was management working behind everybody's back, and management had pulled in the big American producer. Ah, uh. he, he he got given he he got given the rest of the album to do. Hmm. He took them off to L.A and got them limos from the airport. They stayed at Le Parc. They got limos to the studio every day. Da, 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 da. Yeah. They were at the Roxy every night. Da, 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 da. And they blew loads of money, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, in those days, the, the single was prorated against the album costs. Mm. So what happened was, big area... And Sugarbox were the only two hits off that album, which I did, but I didn't make a penny because this American producer went and took uh, me to LA and spent all this money and it never recouped. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Why? Ooh. Yeah. I, and also, now, I, you might, I, I don't know where it goes with talking about drugs, but. That's um, fine. Okay, but there was far too many, too much drugs. From the band, then it really was. It, it look, they're, they're two great tracks, and um, subsequently, I did take them out on tour. I went and did front of house for them. Oh, nice! About seven years, six, seven years ago. Oh, fun. So we, there was a whole UK tour. It was like uh, the comeback tour, mm. and. Um, and 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 it was he got the original band together. So Steve ran the drummer. Um, oh gosh, who's the guitarist? Robert, Robert Downs. Rob 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 Rob, Rob on bass. And mm-hmm. who's the guitarist? He's just died. He died last year. Jason Stainthorpe. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, that that that's Taylor. That, Jasper, Jasper's the bass player. Oh okay. Robert Rob, there's. Rob, big Rob, he's one of the guitarists, and there's a lead guitarist. Taylor? Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, him. Okay. So it was all the original band, and it was a, it was, it was a, it was an okay tour. It was a good tour, but again, drugs came to, came to play again. I wondered at the end, of it, and it all kind of exploded a bit. Hmm. But I think Mark's back, and he's doing. There's um. There's a franchise festival here called Let's Rock, hmm. and it's basically all the '80s acts. I I, I do it with uh, an Art of Noise spinoff. Oh, well, virus allowing, right? So I I will bump into Mark, but 
I, I, I knew, I knew uh, Big Aerial was a hit. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those, there are sometimes when you, you're putting a record together that all the cogs just slip into place mm-hmm. so easily. And, it, and you can add this and you can add that. And each time you do something to it, the, the, the track goes with you and it, it just gets better and better. And, and um, Big Area was that was one of those tracks. Yeah, I could see that. It's a straw. It, it's it such was, a great tune. It's a lot of fun to make. Yeah. There's a, again, there's a lot of drugs flying around. Yeah. Which did, did kind of get in the way sometimes. Whenever I see an interview with Mark or see even one of his posts, I can tell that there's a little bit of like brain fry from too much partying yeah. back in the day, you know? Yeah. 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 So that makes sense. Okay. Um, yeah. I have to ask, what did you do with Scritti Politti? Because I love them, and I God. think you worked with them somewhere, but I don't know what specifically. Oh, I did Hypnotize. You're the second person this week to just go to gush over Arif Martin that I've talked yeah, to. Yeah, he's got such a great body clock, body yeah. clock to him. Yeah. He really has. He's got such a great internal groove. He's was such a lovely man to work with. That's great. Really, did you ever really was. did you come face to face to face with Green Guardside very often, or were you just in the back mixing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I, you know, I, um, yeah, no, Green was around a lot of the time. What is he like? Um, he, I, he's like probably my number one dream interview, but he doesn't talk to anybody. And they've no, only ever put no. out a handful of albums. He goes decades yeah. between albums. And I always think, 
where are you? What are you off doing, Green Gartside? When you're not, you know, how are you paying your bills? How? What's keeping you busy? I, it fascinates me too, John. I don't know. Yeah. Because I, I know, you know, because I, I, I'm on, I'm on a percentage of, of, of some of that stuff. So I see what, what it, it's selling or not selling. Uh-huh. You, you can't, even if you were the sole writer, you, you know, <laughs> right. it, it ain't going to give you a, a yacht in Monaco, that's for sure. No. Um, I, I don't know. Well, I last, I missed Green by a week. Um uh, three years ago, mm. because um, the Art of Noise did four gigs in Tokyo at this club called Billboard, and it was a they franchised it from the Ameri- from your magazine. Billboard. Oh, interesting! Okay. It was something something to do with that. Um, and we did four nights, and Scrissy were going to be there a week after us. So he's out there doing gigs randomly. Yes. But apart from that, no. Um, when when working with him, he was he was he was he was lovely. I always used to say that it was a bit like recording cotton wool. His voice. <laughs> I could see, <laughs> see that. Because that's what it sounds. It was either like a cloud or yes. a puff of cotton wool, and and he he, he would oh god we. I, I would struggle to get, you know, he, he would want the vocal just buried in the mix so he could only just just hear it. It was the first time I ever got mixes rejected because the vocal was too loud. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I played like a reefer Franklin was the first thing, first one I mixed for them. Uh-huh. And I think it took me two or three goes. And it wasn't until that the vocal was, to me, was just ridiculously low. Uh-huh. And, and it was just like these puffs of cotton wool or cloud poking out of the, the tracks. They're amazing tracks. They're oh, really they well put together. Yeah. It was uh, the two American guys. Well, David yeah. Gamson is in the group. Yeah, David Gamson. David Gamson. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. He he was great. He was great. He was absolutely great. Great huh. programmer. Yeah, amazing. He said amazing. he would come amazing. on and talk to me years ago, and then he, I never heard from him again. Um, okay, I have to I have to ask too. Speaking of interesting personalities, I will admit I am not a the the expert 
But Matt the Johnson, the. yeah, the the. Oh wow! Oh, you should get into him. He's good. He's well, good. I some of it. I I I I have like soul mining. I have some of their stuff yeah. for sure. I um I don't know infected it's inside and out like it's you. Heavy stuff. That's what I thought. Um, but yeah, Matt Johnson yeah. it was me. is. Go on, go on, well, no, I, I was going to say Matt uh, Johnson well, is one of these personalities being, that's out there. Man, it was me being pushed out of my comfort zone. Really? Um, because uh, he, his A&R person was a, a woman called Annie Rosebury. Hmm. And this was, he was signed to CBS. And, and the head of A&R was um, Muff Winwood, Steve oh. Winwood's brother. Yeah. And his PA on uh, head of A&R was um, this girl or woman called Annie, Annie Rosebury. Rosebury. Mm-hmm. And she sort of had a soft spot for me work-wise, okay? And I'd done a couple of pop things for her. Oh, and one of them was James, okay? We'll come back to them. Yeah, I got them okay. on the list too. Okay. Um, so Annie, Annie, Annie kind of took me by the by the not by the scruff of the neck but brought took me into the office one day sat me down and played me these demos of of of, of, of matt johnson hmm. and she she basically said i want you to go and make these tracks with him with this guy and i said oh annie it doesn't sound really like it's a bit too heavy and uh, sort of grungy and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and she said i think you should do it i really want you to do these two or three tracks for me. So that that time ended up uh, doing that. And it was fun because I got to choose the musicians. So I basically used Dave Palmer on drums. Yeah. Who who was from ABC. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and the bass player that replaced the, 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 the original bass player in ABC, and his name was Brad Lang. Mm-hmm. And I used so I used David and Brad to put the um, uh, the backing tracks together, and he into, Matt introduced me to um, the Long Island iced tea cocktail. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! It was it was like it was ridiculous that cocktail. He got me so drunk one night. <laughs> it was about the second or third night of working with him. And we went to this club after we'd finished. And, he, and he, I think he got two of these things down me. And honestly, I don't think I could stand up. <laughs> it, was, it was just the most ridiculous drink I think I've ever, ever oh, had. That's great. Um, but Matt, yeah, Matt, Matt, Matt's a bit dark, bit, bit on, bit on the heavy side, but it's good stuff, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like it, it, a lot of it. It's very creative. Yes, that's it. That's a good I, word I, I for it. I was allowed... allowed um, pretty much a free reign. I could throw things at Matt on that album, and uh, and he'd take them on board. I could really kind of throw a few curveballs on him. That's great. And he'd be willing to experiment. Okay, it was fun to work with. Do you have any? Yes. When you listen to the lyrics, the, the whole thing is really, as I say, quite heavy and quite intense. It is. Do you have a favorite song on that album, Infected? Maybe it's oh, angels of deception. Angels, okay, angels of deception. Yeah, good. Yeah. 
Um, let me let me ask you about Billy Idol, because oh, go on then if you must. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I talked to Steve Stevens recently, and we were talking yeah, about he's a character. He's lovely. Go on. He is. He's great. He. We were talking about the remixes on the Vital Idol album, and your name yeah. came up because you did. I I don't know if you did all of them, but I know you did some of them. Mm. One of which, my favorite of which... I did did them all. You did? did Okay, okay. Yeah. So I'm curious what the thinking was behind that album. And we, he and I were both saying that Flesh for Fantasy is probably our favorite remix that's on that album. It's the best 12-inch I have ever done. Thank you. Yes. Yes, it, it it really is. I, I, and um, again, I was pushed into it by management. Some, my, the, the, I was being managed by Jill, Trevor's wife. Uh huh. And, and she said, and I and I was in Australia, and I was working with a band called the Divinals. Yeah, of course. Uh, Chrissy Amphlett and Mark and. Um, and and she said, um, I want you to uh, to remix a Billy Idol track. And I kind of went, well, okay. <laughs> and he happened to come. In, he happened to be in Sydney the next week. So I, I, I went and met him for breakfast, and he did a no show. Oh. <laughs> but I, but I, I, I and then I came back to London. Uh, and I did that 12 inch. I, I and um, 
And I knew at the time it was like, it was really out there. It was really good. Yeah. And then because of that, then I got offered the album to remix. And I wasn't, this is honest truth, I wasn't too sure about it for some reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Threshold Fantasy was good. Um, I remember the Hot in the City remix being pretty good on that one too. Yeah, yeah. That was JJ and I at the best, at our best actually. I got wow. it was when I got the best out of JJ. Yeah, yeah. I, I got I got him really flying on the fairlight, and and at one stage we were, oh, it was it was really creative because the sampling wasn't really where it is now, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so the only things that you could use to sample stuff with was the fairlight or an AMS delay. Okay, and in uh-huh. the AMS delay, you can get about one and a half seconds. And so I had two of those loaded with um, what we'd call loops now. Uh-huh. And JJ had a couple of loops on the fairlight, and we literally jammed it, the two of us. And, and that's how we kind of start started that um, okay. that twelve inch. But then, then I kept. Then I was listening through to the, the rough mixes of this album. And then I came across Sweet 16. Mm. And I thought, oh, that is just the most fabulous track. And on, on the basis of that track, I said yes to mixing the whole album. Okay. You mixed Whiplash Smile? Yeah. 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 Um, okay, quick word on Flesh for Fantasy. The thing I love about your remix is that it isolates that killer riff that is in the original song. Yes. You know, it's in the song, but it's not showcased as well as it is in your remix. It transforms that song and it reminds you what a fantastic killer riff that was that Steve played. It was. Yes. It's such a killer riff that I I use it live now. Do you? We have it like a DJ set and it's called The Art of What. And it's basically JJ and I, um, spinning out samples from the 80s. Oh, I love it. And I, 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 there's an amazing mashup that I did between Flesh for Fantasy and uh, Hypnotize of Spiritability. Really? It, it, yeah, it's really, really cool. Okay. And, 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 and it's, it's lots of na 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 Yes. And then I sampled, I sampled, um, 
uh, one of those porn phone phone messagey things that you used to be able to <laughs> dial up and you'd get yes. some, some some girl. And so we phoned up that late one night and we recorded that, and that's 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 that makes up the whole middle section. And it really was this oh one oh one number in the, in America. I love it. I love it. So, what was yeah. it like putting Whiplash Smile together? Because you say hell, so, absolute, absolute bloody hell. Why? It, it, they, because Keith, Torsey, and young, young William <laughs> had, uh, had really that the, the, all, all, all the tracks were there, but nobody had really sorted any of the tracks out. Hmm. So, when I turned up to mix it, each track had about four or five slaves on it mm. attached to it. So it could be like this, or it could be like that, or we could make it go like this. So there were tons of options. Mm-hmm. So the first part of it was really just going through with with 4C and, and, and me being able to say, well, I think, you know, we, we should be using this here. Or da, 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 da. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so I had to put the, so I was only supposed to be there two weeks. All right. I was in New York and it, we did it at the hip factory. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was supposed to be there two weeks. I think I was there six, seven weeks in the end. Oh. <laughs> and, um, in the end, uh, there was so much information for each song. I had two consoles running. Oh, I had to get I had to get another console in. Wow. It was insane. I had the best assistant I've ever, ever come across. Really? He was just genius. He really was. You know the uh, the Meghan Markle Netflix thing, Suits? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Did you, did you ever watch it? Yes, I did. Okay. Do you remember Donna? Yeah. Harvey's PA sexually uh, paralegal. Yeah. Okay. This kid was like a donor. Really? He 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 would eternally be two steps ahead of me. Oh he wow! Was a genius. And when I and at the time I was starting Metropolis Studios here, and I was I was I was I was also headhunting at the same time. Uh huh. And I so wanted him to come over to London. Come back to uh-huh. London. What's his name? Uh, Do you remember? No, I can't remember his name now. I'll have to look it up. I probably have it somewhere. I can't remember his name. Huh. But yeah, yeah, so I spent about seven weeks mixing that album, but I had a lot of fun doing it. It was a great album to do in the end. It really was. I um, it was not as successful as Rebel Yell, but I there are some of there's parts of it that I still like a lot. Um you know, Soul Standing By, World's Forgotten Boy. You mentioned Sweet Sixteen.
That, uh, yeah. That's the one song on the album that just shows total restraint. Is that, uh, uh-huh. was that you that made that executive decision or did they tell you to do that? No, that's how I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be all soft and jangly yes. and warm and da da da. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like that okay. when, when they gave it to me. Wow. It was all to do with Steve's guitars. Yeah. It was, yeah. All, it was, just, it was just all Steve's guitars to me that made, made that track. He was great. He was so funny. Because yeah. he used to wear high heels because he was quite, he's quite short. Yes. All right. Yes. And I just have this picture of Steve walking out to his amps in the middle of the studio at the hit factory. And he would be like on, on tippy toes, like <laughs> prancing along in these, these heeled shoes that just used to make me giggle. <laughs> and he had the quiet, the quietest and the loudest guitar rig I've ever come across. It, it was. It was purpose built, and it it didn't make a sound when he wasn't do, when he was playing nothing. It was oh, super quiet, not wow. a sound. Wow! And then it would just burst into life. Yeah. It was an amazing piece of machinery. <laughs> yes. You know, it was all being put together by some guy who was a bit of a nerd and did it, uh-huh. made it all fantastic. <laughs> yeah, see, all right, Steve. Yeah, it was a good album to make. That that's good. Um, speaking of drugs, how um, how bad was the drug situation on that one? Uh, pretty bad. Uh, okay, okay. And I only I asked that because Billy's come clean. I mean, he wrote I, 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 I was left to my own devices. I wouldn't see see young William for for like four or five days. Yeah. Yeah. We, we'd sort of convene on a Monday and um, I'd say, well, I'm going to do this track and I'd, and I'd spend a week mm-hmm. mixing each track. Yeah. And, okay. uh, He's been and, open and about that he, he, since he, then. He would, would turn up like on a Friday, Thursday, Friday or something. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'd go through it. But yeah, lots okay. of drugs. Okay. I thought so. Um, now let's talk about James. I spoke yeah. with Tim Booth recently. He was just about the loveliest person. He was so sweet. I hope that was your experience with him, but if it's not, that's okay too. What was it like working with James? And you did, did you just do the Please to Meet You album or did you do, did you do more than that? Uh, I just, well, I did do more than that, but I walked the first time. Oh, really? I, I, well, the first time, I, I didn't ever think I'd work with them again. Why? Um, uh, I got I got sent down. They were working at a residential studio in, in you know county county of England here called Surrey, and they were supposed to be writing and putting tracks together, but they were getting nowhere. So I was mm. I was sent down by the label. You know, would you go and kind of stir them up and get get them going? And uh, the reason why they weren't going anywhere was again too much drugs going mm. on okay got it so i i could only cope with this timeline that they were working to a little bit like they wouldn't start work to like four or five in the afternoon it's like mm. hey guys that's three quarters of the day done for me mate yeah 
you know, I, I, I can't do this. So in the end, I literally got up and walked away. I said, you know, I'm kind of not interested. Yeah. Then, I don't know, it must have been about 18 months, something like that. I, I suddenly got this phone call from Eno's PA. Hmm. And it basically said, uh, Brian would like to meet you and he'd like you to work with him on the James album. And I thought, oh, Christ, who wants if he knows the history? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, again, I got to work with a hero of mm. mine. And that was a great album to make because the way they, they constructed that album was they literally went out on tour with nothing. Mm. All right. They had a couple of riffs, uh, a couple of lyrics, uh, and they went out and did a load of gigs. Mm-hmm. And, and they literally wrote the songs on stage. Yeah. You know, they would jam and they would, you know, have a recording of it. And, and, and that's how that album came together. Are we talking about so, Pleased to Meet You or a different album? Because the only James album I see is Pleased to Meet You, but that came out in like the early okay. 2000s. So that may not have been the one yeah. that you worked on. Laid. Laid. Did you work on Laid? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's the big one. Yeah, that's the big one. There was Seven that he did. they did with Youth. Then there was Laid yeah. with Brian. And Whiplash was the one after that. No, then I did, I did Laid with Brian. Okay. Lena. Okay. Oh, I was going to say Laid is famous for having the song Laid. It also has Say Something was out was on yeah. that one. Out to Get yeah. You, Sometimes. Yeah. If any of these songs. Give it away. Yeah. Scouting. That was a good song. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was fun. So what we did was... Um, I, I set them up in the studio as if they're on stage, and um, and and I, I I put their monitor guy in place, so they were out in the studio with a monitor mix engineer, all, all on wedges, no headphones or anything. Huh. Uh, and we basically recorded it like that. So they literally came off tour doing these gigs, having written the album, mm. straight into the studio. And then, uh, and what would happen is some of the arrangements weren't right. So that's where Brian would kind of steam in and, and help them. And he had this really cool way of describing songs. Like, really? you know, most people go, okay, well, we're going to do uh, two bars of G minor, three bars of the whatever, like mm-hmm, that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, would say, Okay, those four bars there or eight bars there, we're gonna call that Alaska. <laughs> and and then and then these bars here, that's gonna be Wyoming. <laughs> so, seriously. It was absolutely bloody genius. Wow. Right? Wow. And and so and what how it would work is they'd all be set up in like the round looking at each other, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and and Brian would stand in the middle and he, he would have one of those electronic auto heart zither thing uh-huh, yeah? uh-huh. where, where you can just play the chords okay and so he he would walk, walk around the studio and then he would call out wyoming <laughs> <All right? laughs> 
and, and then they would all go and play the right bit. Then it would be Alaska. Four times around Alaska. Oh, man. genius. And I used to drive him. He, we, it was a semi-residential place, and sometimes he would stay over, and sometimes he would come back to London, and I lived halfway between, so I would drive in and drive there every day. And so some some nights I'd bring 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 him back, and we'd mm-hmm. have the most insane conversations. There was one night we were driving back, and he wanted to invent this synthesizer that was like parents. So parents? he had a mother and a father, and then they bred, and their DNA produced these what? children. But these children would be sounds. Wow. I know. Oh, wow, you're telling me. I'm driving kind of, you know, through the countryside at three o'clock in the morning in pitch dark, and I've got Eno next to me totally describing this synthesizer thing that he wants to build. Yeah, it's a great uh, album to do. That is so Eno. So Eno. Yeah. Good. Let's talk about the Dream Academy. They, um... Oh, okay. Yeah. Ooh. Let's, you know, let's. Good, because Life in a Northern Town is what they're best known for. They had other albums and some other great songs, but that's the thing. The Salvation Army band played And the children drank lemonade And the morning lasted all day All day And through an open And I wondered, you know, those big timpani drums with the hey, ma, 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 was that something yeah. that Nick brought to the recording and saying, I have a vision for this song? Or is that something you two collaborate on together? No, that, that, was, a Nick, that was a Nick thing. And, and I, I came in and I didn't have to rescue it, but I had to sort it out. So I just kept all what I deemed to be the hit material. On, on the track, and obviously the mama, well, hey, hey, and, and the timps, they, 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 that was the hook, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that stayed. I tried to get Nick to redo the vocal, but he wasn't up for that. We had a bit of a run-in on that one. Mm. And then I got ripped off. Really? <laughs> no! Yeah, yeah. Because um, they maintained that they went and got it remixed after I'd finished it. Oh. That wasn't the case, but trying to prove it was damn near impossible. But I swear to God, John, if you put my mix up and, and the mix that's out there on the radio, yeah, you tell me that, that there's a difference and I'll tell you that you're, you, you're fibbing to me because oh. there ain't no difference. Shoot. 
Oh, no way. But, but it's strange because I, I, I sort of, I, I don't hold anything against Nick. It, it was a management call, you know, yeah. it really was. Um, and I tell you who used to manage them, and he, he has gone on to leaps and bounds. It's tar- and his name's Tarquin Gott. He's been on here. I talked to Tarquin uh, a couple of years okay, ago. He's yeah, been a Tar- guest. Tarquin, yeah. after managing kind of Dream Academy, went on to, he, he started doing film work. Mm-hmm. But, but that was a Tarquin thing. Yeah, Tarquin ripped me off. Oh. So, but I remain good friends with Nick. And Nick, Nick's a really good friend of mine. Of, of, uh, we, we share a, a really good friend, a guy called John Karin. Oh. Uh, and this, this is an album that never got released that was, the, honestly, it was the one that got away. It's such really? a shame. And I could talk on about it. Um, and I made it in Louisiana and blah, 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 blah. Oh. But, but John and, and uh, Nick are really good friends. And also Nick's in with the, um, uh, what's his name? Oh, the guitarist from Pink Floyd. Oh, uh, um, David Gilmore. Uh, yeah, Dave, Dave Gilmore. But there's this whole little clique. And it's, oh. and it's Nick, Dave Gilmore, John Karen who's an amazing keyboard player and writer. Really? He, he, he's, yeah, he, he did, he's Roger Waters' MD. He's oh. Dave's MD. He's Kate Bush's MD. Yeah, he's just everybody's, sense. he's just amazing. Okay. I saw his name anyway, on your... So, so, yeah, so Life in the Northern Town. It was, uh, it was fun to do. Yeah. Fun to do. Yeah. Okay. Did you do something with uh, Big Country? It, the eclectic album isn't that a live album? Did you mix that or something? Yeah, I did. That's right. We did a live. We did a live album. That's right. That was great. I love them. That, that, yeah, they're, they're a great band. Great Did you band. get to interact yeah, with them much? Really well. huh? Did you interact with Stuart or anybody, Bruce, anybody else on that in the band very much? Kind of as much as you had to for, for, a, for a live album. Okay, you know? yeah, that's um, what I wondered. You know, like, uh, what's the drummer's name? Mark um, Brzezicki. Um, yeah, so Mark, Mark I knew because Mark was also a session drummer. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd worked with Mark a few times, and he'd said on uh, uh, various occasions, you know, I've got this other band that I'm mm-hmm. in, Big Country. It'd be great if we could, I could get you to da 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 And the, the the thing that I ended up doing with them was that was that live album. Okay. And the other, the great thing was I got to meet a bit of a hero. He was Steve Hartley from Cockney Rebel. 
Oh. And he, 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 he was playing support. He did support. Wow. And that was kind of cool. And it was from a great venue. It was from Camden. Yeah. Camden Lock. Um, nice. Okay. So, yeah, so, yeah fond, fond memories of that. And it was Good. it was effortless to do. Good. Because they're such a great band. Yeah, they are. I love them. It's one of those, honestly, I, I, it's one of those things where I say, I can just put my elbows on the faders. <laughs> And push them up, all right. And, and I don't tell too many people that because that's all you do is a mix engine. You just put your elbows on the face and push them all up in one go. Yeah, and, and everybody thinks it's a dark art in the mystery. It's like, no. it bloody well is a dark art in the mystery. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I'll tell you a funny story about about that. That actually having to do that in a real life situation yeah um, uh, in between in between the drama album and 90125 mm -hmm. as a backhanded thank you for struggling through the drama album all right mm -hmm. no, another shafting by the management coming here we go mm -hmm. all right um, I, I got oh Gary as a thank you, the band would love you to come out to New York and see them at Madison Square Gardens. Woo, woo, I think. Oh, that's a big thank you. Yeah, I'll take that, guys. <laughs> so I bloody well get there, only to find that the reason I'm actually there is to do this um, live broadcast to about 50-odd radio stations. Really? Okay? Yeah, yeah. What was it? Was it Limp Biscuit? Yeah. <laughs> or King Biscuit? What, yeah, King Biscuit a... Flower Hour or whatever it is. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right, right. It was for that. It was for King Biscuit, okay. Uh huh. And they were they were going to take an hour of this. I don't know. I think they were doing a two-hour set. All right, and so I had to do the the live broadcast. All right. Uh huh. Okay, not a problem. It helps if you turn up for a sound check, guys. <laughs> It really, really does. It just has that little bit of a helping uh -huh. hand for me. Right. And I kid you not, John, I was sitting in this mobile truck halfway up Madison Square Gardens, you know, because it's all uh -huh. clear, all right? You can drive Arctics all around the, the exterior of that building. Uh -huh. They were wrestling trying to uh, – there was problems getting it to all 50 stations, so I wasn't really worried about that. My main concern was nobody had turned up for a sound check. Hmm. So all I had was a stereo. I could get a stereo mix of the drums from front of house. Everything else I had to have by myself. Oh, no. Okay, so I had a stereo mix of the drums, and everything else was my own faders, okay? And I had the guy sitting next to me doing the adverts and, and the sponsor trailer thing. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that live, okay? Oh, man. And I swear to God, it got to, let's say, broadcast time was 9 o'clock. At about three minutes to 9, I sat there at this console, all right? Mm -hmm. And I literally pre-guessed all the, the, the game settings on the mic preamps, okay? Oh, no. Just from memory, you could think, what would you have an 87 lead vocal set to? Oh, about there, all right? <laughs> da, 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 da. Okay? Seriously, mate. Oh. And then uh, 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 two, two seconds before 9 o'clock, I literally just put all my uh, my elbows on all the faders and just push them up. 
seriously, that's all I could do because wow. there had to be some sound coming out at nine o'clock. I thought it doesn't matter if it's spaghetti, all right? I can yeah. just dive in and find it, but at least let's have some sound going at nine o'clock. Amazing. Okay, so this guy did an advert for some fucking dog biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Bonio special plus or something. I don't know. I can't remember. But it was a dog biscuit. Okay, they were sponsoring it. Okay. Uh huh. And listen, I, I, I just pushed the faders up, and I, I, I hope for the best. Were you even able? So it's a working vacation. Hey, thanks for helping us out. Let's let's treat you to a trip to seriously, seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go to the after show, and I did get to watch them the next night. Right. Oh. Which which was quite incredible. That that yeah. was, that was quite quite amazing, actually. I believe it. Yeah, man, anyway, that, that, that's that, no that, fun. That's a bit of a tale. So that's great. I yeah. love it. A fade, a fade, a elbows on the fade. <laughs> I have done it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Um, okay, I only have a couple more left. Um, and I don't know if no. well. I mean, truthfully, I could go. I have like there's 20 more things I could ask you about. But well, let's look. What's the time? Come on, we got a bit more time. Let's okay. Keep going. Okay. On. I, if you can't tell, I'm saving Bohemian Rhapsody to the end. By the way, so oh, um, okay, so I got two left. I, we'll we'll do two more. Uh, is there? A, can you tell me an interesting story about Jody Watley? I um, she was so big there for a little while. In the she 80s. was bloody, bloody, bloody amazing. Really? Oh, good. Oh, oh, good. Geez, she's possibly. Wow, nobody's asked me about Jodie for a long, long time. Um, I, I did that with Bruce Woolley. Yes, I've had him on here too. By the way, Bruce is okay, great. Yeah, Bruce Woolley in the camera club. She, 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 she could turn up at ten o'clock in the morning and fucking nail it. Really? Oh. God, and she would turn, she had a little kid, uh, I think it was her son, her first son. Okay. Who was probably about mm, four, three or four at the time. And she would turn up with him at 10 o'clock in the morning and nail these vocals. One or wow. two takes, done. Wow. It was brilliant. Wow. Good, good. Did never, Bruce and I never used to say a word. <laughs> we would just sit there and just let her do as many takes as you wanted. And I kid you not, it was no more than two. Wow. Does she have... And she would sing the song from top to bottom and nail it each Really? Time. Does she have yeah, much of a she, say she in the creation brilliant. of the music or does she just sort of float in, do the vocals and then leave? No, she just... She... Uh, well, her, her and Bruce, 
sort of uh, uh, worked worked together, and then um, and then Bruce and I worked together, and okay. then we did like put the backing tracks together, and then she would come in and just, as I say, nail it. Okay. Okay. Absolutely nail it. She nice. was amazing. Absolutely Good. amazing. Good. And so pretty and attractive too, which helps. No joke. No joke. <laughs> oh man. I love Jody Watley. I've been trying to get her on here too and I've never heard Yeah, that, yeah. She's a cutie. She yes. really was well, she was then. Yeah. I'm sure she still is. Yeah. You can't really go wrong there. Yeah, she's great. Um okay. Paul McCartney. Did you work on I, I, I actually here you go. Her and Lisa Stansfield were two of a kind in terms of turning really? up and nailing their vocals. That's good to hear. I was going to ask you about St- Lisa, but I wasn't sure how in-depth you got with her. So Lisa was easy to work with too and very much oh, professional and was, a great she, vocalist. She she was just like working with your next-door neighbor. Oh, wow. She, well, I, I did that. Uh, with, that was at, at Basing Street at Sam West. Oh. And... Um, and uh, we the it was oh it was Trevor's usual studio band so it was oh god what's his name on drums and did it on and Trevor played bass and did it and Lippo probably played a bit of guitar yeah anyway so that they'd be the 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 guys would be routining the tracks in the studio and it, and they'd start about ten o'clock and, and Lisa would just literally just wander in. And she wouldn't come into the control room. And she, I'd set her up in this little booth uh-huh. in the studio. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, 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 she, and I would just just leave her mic open. When, when they started routining the songs, mm-hmm. I would just leave her mic open. And she would literally just appear halfway through a, 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 a run-through or something. Oh, that's great. And, and then just start nailing it. And it was like, Whoa, where did you come from? That was amazing. <laughs> and she literally just walked in off the street, took a coat off and put cans on, had a fiddle with a little mixer thing and blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. And I just started joining in. Wow. Her, so her, her and Dodie were possibly two two easiest and best female singers to work with. So tell me what the alternative is. If they're so great because that's what they do, what do most people do? Do they come in and hem and haw and need tea and need honey down the throat and need time? Oh, or yeah, what's, they, what they do most people like do? Tea. Really? It's like pulling teeth. I, my, my pet hate, actually, is doing lead vocals. It's bittersweet for me mm. because it's sort of make or break time, John. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, you know, you can, you can have a, 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 a rocking, cruising backing track and a song. And, and, and if they're not nailing it, then there's, there's no way you can go. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. You, you know, it all you, depends you, you, on you, this vocal, doesn't it? It, it really does. Yeah. And it, it, it can be quite soul destroying, you know, that mm-hmm. they're just not getting it. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was always, the vocals are always, always a bit, as I say, bittersweet for me. Yeah. yeah. What yeah, is, I'm, 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 I'm happiest doing the backing track. I bet. Can you think of, and you don't have to say who it would have been, but what was some of the stranger, you know, amp up routine that somebody had to go to go through in order to be able to sing? Is there something in particular that somebody did that was just, no, I've never seen anyone do that before, but that was their thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, there were, t- there were two, two occasions. So we'll start with Trevor. Okay. And, and the lead vocal for Video Killed the Radio Star. That was oh. completely bonkers. Because <laughs> that is uh, his voice, his a mic, an SM57, straight into a Vox AC30 with an AKG D12 on it. And it took ages to get that. <laughs> Absolutely ages. Uh, and the other one was Tony Hadley, and 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 the um, oh, the first Di- Diamond, uh, the Diamond album. Or was it the, the second album? Richard James Burgess produced it. Still, um, so was it the second album? Well, there was what? There was the the, I, the one where they started going really spe- experimental. Yeah, that's Diamond, the second album. Right, the first okay, half okay. is normal. He, he, the second half I is weird. Not, he, he, he he had he had this whole Richard Burgess had this whole thing about Tony's voice, all right, uh-huh. and said it was un, un, unrecordable. And I'm thinking, what? You mean unrecordable? And I kid you not, he had Tony rolled up in carpet, okay? What? Lying on the floor. Really? Doing some lead vocals. And I used to think this is this is. This is not right. <laughs> wow. So I gotta take a number and sit down here, but I'm telling you, this ain't right. <laughs> oh, that's good. I just talked to Tony recently. That is he didn't mention any carpets, but that is hilarious. I love that. No, I bet he didn't. It's highly embarrassing for him. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah, that, that that was probably the the weird the weirdest. That is weird. Wow. Um, okay then, yeah. let's talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, what? what well, I want to know what you did. I want you to know uh, if you were in the room. Tell me everything. I, I was there from day one to the end. Really? I, I. Well, what I ended up doing the year before last, or when the movie came out, was I put this two-hour lecture together. No. On the making of Bohemian Rhapsody from from. From my perspective, wow! And I, and I would I would talk you through the whole thing because I I got a copy of the multi track. Of course. So I I would show I can tell you you can ask me any question you like about it and I'll okay I'll, I'll tell you because I was there from as I say from day one I wasn't there at Rockfield when they cut the batting batting tracks. Okay. But as soon as they'd finished all the batting tracks for that. For Night of the Opera, then they turned up at, at Sarmis, and um, I was shitting myself because I'd never worked with a rock band up until that point. Mm. Sarmis was like a oh, well, it was just Sarm in those days. Yeah, was well, we sort of it was like a little pop studio, and this was going to be the first rock album. Oh, and I'd already kind of clocked them because of, I was a fan of Sheer Heart Attack. Yes, I love that album. Uh, and Kill and Killer Queen, which mm-hmm. today I'd say is one of the one of the to me, Killer Queen is better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm. Because it's just a bit more of a rock song, but yeah. hey, you know. Um, yeah. um so yeah, I can remember day one, I can remember I can remember so much of it. Day one wow. was Mike Mike turned up, Mike Stone turned up with all the multi tracks and I'd never seen so many multi-tracks before. I was used to an album yeah. being 
on two multi-tracks, okay, mm -hmm. two tapes. And I there are about eight or ten multi-tracks turned up. And I was flabbergasted. Wow. And, um, and this was the first time I'd seen anybody cut through two-inch tape. Really? Yeah, and what happens with Bohemian Rhapsody is actually split into three. And that was the first thing that Mike did huh. um, on that first day, was he got out the master and we made a copy of it, a multi-track copy, and, and then he cut it into three sections. So he had the intro section, uh -huh. which is all of that up until when it goes to what I call what was deemed the operatic section. Right. And then you have the opera section all by itself. And then you have the rock section mm -hmm. at the end. Mm -hmm. And they were worked on as three separate things. I could see that. This was the incredible, huh? I could see that, yep, okay. Okay, and, and the way, and we would have like a, a, a running rough mix tape, okay? And when we kind of got to the end of doing a bunch of work to make sure that it was all going to go back together again, it, there was always a rough mix done onto quarter inch and the, edit, the edits would be tried out. But this was the first time I'd seen anybody cut through a multi-track. I'd, I'd seen, I'd put leader mm. on mm -hmm. the top and the tail, but to, to actually um, cut through, mm. cut through the, the, the whole multi-track, and then, uh, which meant that there was no chance of ever uh, recording over something. True, good point. In the next session, because it was only 24 tracks, okay? Yeah, yeah. And one of those, um, and one of those tracks would be for time code, Mm. which would drive the 48 track and the crappy computer mix system that didn't work, all right, which got ditched, which was the thing called Allison's Little Helper. Ooh. It was awful system. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't, don't say that. Um, and so that, that, that was day one, and Freddie turned up on day one, and he was quite, quite intimidating because he was wearing these black satin skin tight trousers, all right? Uh-huh. With the top button and the zip half undone, okay? <laughs> and, and and his left hand painted black, his fingernails black. Huh. And you got to remember, I'm a, li I'm a little public schoolboy from Wimbledon. <laughs> you know? Ooh. Ooh, I had curly toes, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and then, I think, and then Roger turned up next. And what I do remember is as each of, each of them turned up, they all walked in the room with this presence around them. There was mm -hmm. something about these four guys yeah. that I, I'd not, not witnessed before. It's interesting that they had that even early on. I mean, they weren't, they yeah. were a somewhat successful band at that point. They weren't legends, but yet even early on, they carried themselves like legends. I think that one is connected to the other. I think it, like Bowie. Oh, 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 without a doubt. Yes. Freddie Freddy was just Freddie, 24-7. Yeah. I don't, I don't know Freddie to be anything other than what what you see. You yeah. Know, what, what you see is, that well, that wasn't an act. That, yeah. That's Freddie. You know? Yep, yep. You know. So Roger comes in. Now, let me ask you this. Did, it, okay. do you, did they always have the song completely scoped out 
you know, like blueprinted it out the way that it was or how much did you remember anything coming to light or being included in that song in the studio itself? No. No, it was all that, in that Freddie's head. That was all, of all it. in Freddie's head. Wow. Every bit of it. Okay. All the vocal bits. Oh, um, um, there are things like, and, you can, and I'll point them out to you now, but there are, there are timpani on there and mm. there are extra drums. And mm. those are the only things. And they, they were put on because um, the... the they made it so well mm-hmm. that when we put it back together again, the end wasn't as big as it needed to be. Mm. It, it was, you know, when we first, when they first cut it, right, the end, the rock section was, was, you know, it was a towering full-on rock section. Boom, it came in, all right? Mm-hmm. But after, after completing all of that operatic section in the middle, you know, the, the, the poor little end section kind of faded into a bit of insignificance. I see that. So okay. there's an extra snare drum and then there's chimps on the end there. And they're the only things that were really added that weren't okay. in Freddie's head. There's a, there's a drone guitar that, that Brian obviously plays that, that enables the edit between the opera section and the rock section to actually mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And so it really was, it was only things like that. Like all, all of the opera section was completely scoped out in Freddie's head, mm. as were the vocals on, on, the, on the first part. Okay. Do you remember... And, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go on. Well, I was going to say, go do you remember on. any of the band members um, seeming dubious or having feeling resentful or like, ugh, I got we got to work on this thing that Freddie's got in his head. I'm it's not going to just... go down that one. Oh, really? All right, there, there, were, there, were, there, were, there were big arguments, all right? Okay, okay. And, and that's because this was a make-or-break album for yeah. them. This yeah. was the third album, okay. yeah. Okay. And this had, it had to be successful. Mm-hmm. And, and there were a big faction of the band was was okay with it being this, the single being this epic six minute thing. All mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of members that weren't quite okay sitting in the same camp. Yeah. So there okay. were moments of yeah. making of where it, 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 it did get quite tense. I could see that in the control room. No one. I mean, there, there's yeah. nothing like that anywhere nothing like that ever existed and if you're a band that needs this album to succeed and you're being asked to create to help create the vision in someone's head that you've never heard before how do you know you're working on something special and so i could just imagine yeah. some people being like oh yeah. we got to work on that thing that yeah. freddie wants now well, oh, yeah. man well, you know yeah it was yeah who knew they, they, you know it was the fact that it was six minutes long and yeah. the radio wouldn't weren't gonna you know trying yeah. to get six minutes played out on, on uk radio back then and tough yeah yeah you know and, and if it, it the, the person who broke that for them was was a guy called kenny everett hmm. okay true this is a true story okay, okay. um EMI were balking severely against it being six minutes. The band and some were saying, yeah, it's got to be six minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. A good friend of Freddie's was a guy called Kenny Everett. 
who had his own radio show on, mm. on the UK's biggest independent radio station down here in London. Okay. It's called Capital Radio. Yeah, you have to look this guy up, okay? Okay. And he had his own TV show, but his name was Kenny Everett, okay? Mm-hmm. Especially search him out on YouTube, all right? Okay. And and he, he was great friends with Fred, okay? And Freddie got him down when we finished mixing it and uh, play, played it to Kenny. And Kenny went kind of, wow, mm. six minutes, that's bloody long. But, but, Loved it, okay. Mm-hmm. And then said, as he was going, what's the chance of me having a cassette? And Roy, Thomas Baker, RTB, yeah. said to Kenny, yeah, I'll get Gary, meaning me, to run you off a cassette. But you've got to promise me that you don't play it out on your radio show. Wink, wink, nod, nod. I swear to God. And I saw the wink, wink, nod, nod. The next day was Saturday. Kenny played it 14 times. Really? Yeah. It, they're, they're, the the uh, telephone lines went down. Uh-huh. Um, it made the newspapers. EMI, come Monday morning, were stuffed, John. Wow. They had to go... They, there was no way they could not release this single now. Yeah. And yeah. it was this guy, Kenny Everett. Wow. If he hadn't played it out on his radio station that weekend, I'm not so sure it would have made a lot of day. You're, I don't know. But who knows? It, it was certainly a wow. big contributing factor. When look, you look him up, Kenny, I Kenny will. Everett. I will. I never ask these kinds of questions because I've they feel a little too, I don't know, it's a little too obvious. No, I'm only telling you, I'm only telling you what I do in my lectures. Okay, you know, so no, that's fine. It's, so, it's, out, it's out there in the public domain. Okay. Sort of thing, so, so when I... I won't, I won't have a kiss and tell. Okay, good. Um, so, but what I... When you're... Would you have ever guessed, when you were working on it and it was completed and it was done, I'm imagining the band and you guys and Roy and everybody listening to it in the studio and big speakers. Yeah. Are you thinking this thing is going to last forever? It's going to change everything or not? Or where, where is your mind when you hear this finished product? When when we put, when we mixed the, 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 the rock section, Mm -hmm. right. And we were now edited all three things back together again. And I remember sitting at the back of the control room and this was the first playback. And it was only, you know, the band and, and Mike and, and Roy mm-hmm. and myself in the room. And I, I was sitting at the back. And I do remember sitting there going, look, thinking, I don't know, I don't know what this is or what they've created, but mm-hmm. this is either going to be something huge or it's never going to, it's never going to see the light of day. Yeah. yeah. Now, did I think it was going to be as, Huge as it was, mm-hmm. from Snow John. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, no notion of that. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew it was something special. Yeah, it was undoubtedly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and, it, and 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 technically, it pushed so many boundaries. Like to do all those vocals in the middle. Mm-hmm. On and you see, and you'd only have. Hang on, I only like we only had. 12 tracks free 
Mm-hmm. Because you've got four for the drums, two for the bass, that's six, two for the piano, that's eight, uh, guide vocal, nine, code, ten. So that left you, yeah, left you uh, 14, 14, no, yeah, four, 14 tracks left. Yeah. 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 And, and, and so, well, yeah. And so all of those vocals, and there are hundreds of them, right. all done on 12 tracks. Incredible. And the way that it was done, all right, mm-hmm. was, um, and this, was, this is a testimony to the genius of Mike Stone, mm. all right, and he, he was an absolute genius as an engineer. Yeah. Um, so let's just say you're going to do part one of the, 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 the middle section, all right? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's going to, part one is going to require three harmonies, okay? Each of those harmonies has got to be tracked four times to make the sound, okay? Mm-hmm. So what you would do, or what would we do, is you would you record, let's say, Roger, three times, okay? On, on tracks 12, 13, 14, okay? Mm-hmm. You would then stop. You would then get a balance of tracks 12, 13, and 14, and then get Roger to go out there and sing one more track live, oh. and then bounce all those four to a spare track. Okay? Yeah. Now, you've got to go back and erase the original four tracks or three tracks, because you need them to do the whole process again and again and again. Amazing. And that's how it was made. Yeah. He, 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 and each time he completed something, you had to erase it. So what I'm saying was, when it got to like combining, then putting the three harmony parts together, mm-hmm. so once you'd done that, you then had to go back and erase all the originals again. So if you got it wrong, John, <laughs> you had to start again. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And the only way that you'd know that you'd get it, got it wrong is really not until you started the mix. Mm-hmm. And I swear we never went back and redid any of those vocals. Incredible. It Incredible. was absolutely amazing. Yeah. You know, you say all this, and I know people now have access to unlimited number of tracks. And oh, I haven't got a clue, John. Yeah, well, see, that's what I was going to say is that this current modern technology may make this process easier, but I don't know that it makes no. it better, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. You see, you see, the, the skill, and, and it's a skill set that the, 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 the Gen Zs are, are, are losing, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's by default of the equipment that they're working with that they have an infinite amount of choices. Yeah. They don't have to make a decision yeah what you had to do in the let's say the 70s and the 80s and stretching into the 90s maybe but really 70s and the 80s and and the 60s and before obviously was you had to make a decision about something yeah right because you didn't have all those tracks you didn't yeah. have two thousand tracks that you could record on and choose things later you had to make choices there and then and then you had to live and die by those choices. Yes. So those choices would influence your next move. Mm-hmm. 
You see, so yes. if, if, if let's say your balance of your backing vocals that you'd done weren't a hundred percent, but that's how they are now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We can't go back and do them again. Then, then the next overdub will be um, influenced by that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen anymore. Right. Because you don't have to make a choice until you get right to the bloody end. Right. And then you've got too many choices in front of you. Yeah. Then you can't see the wood for the trees. Yes. Well, I could do this. I could do that. I could mm-hmm. swing from there. I could go over there. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we could um, we could just, yeah. you know, be grumpy and complain for hours, I think. Yeah, no, I'm not grumpy. I'm not grumpy. <laughs> I know. Not grumpy. It makes me grumpy. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm really accepting about it. Yes, you are. Honest, John. You are. You I, I, and be. that's yeah. why, one of the reasons why I, I just, if you like, gracefully bowed out mm-hmm. of trying to make records mm-hmm. and why I'm thankful that the, the art of noise has re, relived itself and, and I get to do it, do it all live. Yeah, that's great. That's great, man. Because because it, 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 it's feeding it's feeding into my psyche, you know, one hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's the three of us up there on stage, and yeah, we've got machines working with us. But man, if it, if I didn't have Anne there mm-hmm. playing live, it, it it would be it would would be nothing. Yeah. And I know, and the great thing is that I know that that everything can crash on stage. And man, it has happened, okay? <laughs> and, and and I can just turn to Anne. And as long as my console is still going, because the way I do the Art of Noise Live is I, I mix on stage. I did the front of house from on uh-huh. stage. Uh-huh. Okay, and I'm also playing things as well. So as long as uh, everything can go down, as long as there's just me and Anne left, we can entertain you. That's great. She, she'll just start some, playing something on a piano. And I'll just get some delays going, and we'll entertain you. That's amazing. And, and I know, and, and that is our default. And I know it's going to be beautiful. Yeah. I'm glad you have that you know? outlet, you know? That that oh, was, so, was... so are my job. Yeah. So are my job. You know, yeah. I, I, you know um, and I've got a, we've got a spin-off of that. And, Good. And it's called, I told you, it's called The Art, the art of What? And, it, and that's just basically JJ and I. Yeah. So great. Um, so great. Re- reliving the 80s. Yeah. I'm going to have to get over there to see one of these shows one of these times. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. It was fun talking with you, John. You too, Gary. Thanks so much. If you can't tell, I love so much of what you've done. You're. Well, I'm glad you enjoy it. You know. I do. Thanks for that. I do. And uh, yeah, I, I, that, I, that's, that's why I do it, to make people happy. I'm, I want to make oh, people smile. It's enriched wanna, my life. I want to muck with your emotions. You did it. I, I mean, did. you did it with countless. I mean, we've talked for like three hours of stuff that matters deeply, deeply to me. And you did it, you know? So thank you, Gary, for well, me. It means a lot. Okay, cool. I enjoyed it. I okay. enjoyed it. All right, there you have it, Gary Langan. I love that conversation. So much good music in there, right? I got to get Trevor on here one of these days. Although it feels like I talked to so many people who work with Trevor that I don't know what more I'd ask Trevor. Kind of out of ideas at this point. We've talked to so many people that know him and there's more to come. So anyway, thank you, Gary, for chatting with me. I wanted to close it up. Uh, I love the Whiplash Smile album that Billy Idol put out after Rebel Yell. It's kind of the forgotten sequel in some ways, although there were hits on it. I wanted to play a deeper track off of that one. This is Soul Standing By. I love it. Uh, Now, this week, 
We have a book club bonus episode coming out. Uh, if you were paying attention to the socials or Patreon, you know this. Uh, former guest of ours, very popular former guest, has written a book, and he's coming back on, and we're chatting about the book, and it is a super, super fun conversation. So I hope you guys check out the book club episode. Again, it should be out this weekend. Huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Jan the Man Makevich, for everything that you do. Thank you, buddy, for everything. Um, you guys know how to find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there, or you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. All right? And we will be back. Oh, did I? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, next week, next week's guest, I forgot to give you the little teaser. Next week's guest is a singer who sang on who worked with Gary and sang on one of the songs we featured in this episode. Pretty famous backup singer. You probably know who it is now that I just said that. But anyway, that's who's coming up next week. Okay? We'll talk to you then. Love you guys. <laughs>